Welcome to Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Hi, I'm Nuri. Today we're talking to Pauline Williams from Amida. Uh, hello, Pauline. Hello, Nuri. It's nice to be back on air with you. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it has been. Um, today we are going to discuss... Uh, today we are discussing the inquiry into... Uh, Abuse and Dignity at Services. Yeah, in Disability Services. Disability Services. Yeah, it's a serious topic, very serious topic. Very serious topic. Firstly, who was conducting this inquiry? Well, the one that I wanted to talk to you a bit about today is being conducted by the Parliament of Victoria. They have a committee. It's called the Family and Community Development Committee. So all this year they've been asking people to put in submissions. They've had public hearings and they've just recently, um, at the end of October, accepted final submissions for Stage 2 of their inquiry. And they'll make recommendations probably by the end of this year to our government in Victoria, the Victorian State Government, yep. Uh, why is there an inquiry into abuse? Um, well, it's it's a good question about why is there an inquiry now, actually, because, I mean, there's actually been issues, as we know, from reinforcing Amida for many years in disability services with abuse. The environments that people... Um, live in, in group homes and before that in institutions and, well, and still in institutions and even in day services aren't always safe environments. And we've for a long time known that and been telling the government, as have community visitors and others who go into those environments and services. But in the last 12 months, it's become, I guess, um, an issue of some sort of, you know, public concern because there were a few um, exposés on television about abuse in particularly Urala and people might have seen the Four Corners show um, where they looked at some of the abuse that had gone on um, where staff had abused residents in residential services and also in day services operated by that service by Urala. And so because I guess that was so prominent in the media, um, governments, um, both at the federal and the state level, um, thought they should address it, and that's why they've had the inquiry this year. Um, but as I said, you know, it's um, an issue that we've known about for a while. Um, how bad is this, is this abuse, and how long has it been going for? Well, how long has it been going on? I guess since people with disability have been congregated and segregated in um, services where the um, general public doesn't get to um, get in, where oversight bodies don't get in to see what's going on, where advocacy groups like us don't get to get in and see what's going on. So um, I guess, you know, if you talk about Victoria, the first institutions were probably built over 100 years ago. And then um, in the 60s and 70s, there were quite a few big institutions around Victoria um, that since about the 80s have been closing down. Abuse certainly happened in those institutions. And the institutions that still are open in Victoria, like Calanda down in um, Colac um, and plenty residential services in Bandura, are still environments that we don't believe are safe and that community visitors have found to be unsafe. 
And then since about the mid-'80s, group homes have been built and those were uh, an attempt to have a more home-like, community-based um, environment for people to live in, people with disabilities, with support provided by staff. But unfortunately, again, they're very isolated and closed off. And so um, it's not always going on, but it is going on. How bad is it and how much of it is going on is hard to know because the very isolation that allows it to happen means that we don't always find out um, unless somebody is brave enough, I guess, to stand up and report it um, and it isn't an easy thing to do. Um, And also a lot of people with disabilities um, aren't able to um, communicate easily and they don't have access to phones, etc., to call advocacy organisations and um, when community visitors come in, which is only a few times a year, they may not realise that that's somebody they can tell that something's happening. So um, it's really hard to know how bad the issue is, Nori. It's actually one of the things that the inquiry said in its stage one report was that the first thing they have to say is they don't actually know how bad this issue is, but they know that it's been going on. Uh, Amida has been aware of this problem. How, what, uh, how did Amida know about this problem? Well, Amida um, is an advocacy group that was formed by people with a disability who were coming out of the institutions and wanting alternatives. And so they had the lived experience of knowing what those places were like and how abusive they were and were wanting something better. So... I guess Amida has become aware of it, first of all, because the people who formed Amida were um, people who had that experience themselves, but also because as an advocacy group, we attempt to um, go out and support people and outreach to them. So for the last few years, we've been going out into the group homes and running information sessions around what people's rights are. It's called Housing Know Your Rights, and they're free. Um, uh, therefore residents but sometimes families as well and um, and sometimes staff even can learn from them about what rights people have and how they can access advocacy services. So we've been going out, um, as I said, and sometimes when we're in those discussions with um, three or four or five people about rights, it sets the scene for them to tell us if something has been going on. And we've found quite often that that's when people have revealed to us that something's not quite right, that there's been maybe um, verbal or um, psychological abuse going on or even physical abuse. So um, then we're able to um, provide advocacy for the person and help them go through that journey of reporting it and doing something to fix the situation so that they're in a safe environment again. So that's sort of how we found out. It's because we're an advocacy group, but also because we've decided you need to outreach. You've got to go out to these um, group homes that are so isolated because otherwise people aren't going to have the opportunity to tell anyone about what's going on. And also by talking about rights, we, we allow people to see that actually what's been going on isn't right, that something's wrong, and that... Um, that they can tell us about it. A lot of times people aren't told about their rights. They're not told about what's right and wrong and what should and shouldn't happen. Um, They know that they're in a position where staff control pretty much everything that goes on in the house. So if there is staff who are abusing them, um, they're pretty much 
in a position where the person who they would tell might also be the person who's creating the abusive situation, which makes it really difficult. And the other situation might be that they're living in a house with other people who have disabilities and maybe someone's not being supported properly and because they're unhappy, they're angry and lashing out at the others who live there. And so sometimes it's that they're stuck living with someone who's not getting the right support and who's become abusive. So what we're doing is going out and saying to people, well, actually, you've got a right to live in an environment that's safe. And if someone's not being supported properly and it's making them be abusive, the service has to do something about that. They have to properly support that person. Or it might even be that it's not the right environment for that person to be living in. Not everybody is suited to living in a house of you know, five other people or six or seven or eight or nine. Some of the group homes have nine people living in them. And, you know, I certainly know I like to have my private space and to not necessarily always have people around me. Um, it can be a really hard thing to do. So, um, yeah, we we um, believe that it's really important to give people that information that it is okay to to tell and that, you know, it's not okay if you are in an unsafe environment. Okay, we're going to have now a little music break. Our House in the Middle of the Street by Madness. Uh, welcome back to Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Hi, I'm Norrie and welcome back to our special guest, Pauline Williams from Amida. Um, Thank you again, Norrie. And um, yes, it's... Um, it's great to hear a bit of madness. Now let's get back to this serious topic. Today we are discussing the inquiry into abuse in disability services. Uh, has Amida put any uh, in a submission to to the inquiry? We did, yes, um, we did. We put in a submission to the stage one um, of the inquiry and then we um, went and spoke to... The committee they had public hearings, so it was an opportunity to go and talk to them about what it was that we were wanting to say to them, and then they announced stage two, and we've um, we've just put in a submission, a much longer one, to the stage two. Um, that was because after their stage one, they actually put out a big report. Um, and in that, they summarised all the things they'd found out so far and also they asked a whole heap of questions that they weren't sure about and wanted to know what people who were submitting thought about which way they should go. So that gave us the opportunity to digest everything they'd come up with so far and try and answer some of the key questions. Mm. Um who else has put in submissions apart from Amida? Oh, lots of groups, Nori. Um, I know a lot of advocacy groups have. Women with Disabilities Victoria have. Um, some families of people with a disability have. And um, community visitors have. Um, I'm pretty sure that the Disability Services Commissioner, um, some of those um, oversight bodies have also. And... Um, the ombudsman, um, the ombudsman office had an inquiry themselves earlier this year, which was mainly focused on how people report abuse and when they make that report, how is it investigated. So she focused on that very closely, and all of her findings went into this committee as well. So um, there's been a lot of work 
um, done, actually, which is good because um, the government's, I guess, having a lot of voices, uh, you know, to tell them about the issues, but also some of the key um, investigating bodies and bodies that have something to do with trying to resolve these issues are all having their say, which is good. There's also, I think, because the National Disability Insurance Scheme is coming in, I'm pretty sure that they've looked at some of the work that they've been doing. They had a um, um, an inquiry themselves looking at, with the national system coming in, what kinds of safeguards should there be for the new national system? And lots of people had put in their views to that inquiry and the State Governments Committee has looked at those submissions too. And also the Senate, the Senate um, federally had an inquiry this year into abuse, particularly in residential services. So they've had a look at all the submissions that went into that as well. So they've certainly had a lot of information to to look through and digest and hopefully they've got some answers there. And what were the key points? From a MIDA. From a um, Well, we concentrated a little bit on why we thought there was abuse and one of the things we say is that it's the isolation of people with a disability from their families, from communities, from advocates um, and that, as we said before, there's a lack of information about rights. Um, there's also the fact that people who have multiple disabilities and cognitive impairments might not be able to actually act to protect themselves and to let someone know that something wrong's going on. Um, there's also a lack of information that people have had about um, what's okay and what's not okay. So a lot more information, but also a lot more access to people in services. Um, we think advocacy um, should have a right of entry. Um, you know, in work sites, unionists have what's called a right of entry where they can go in and look at whether the work site is safe and talk to the workers and find out if their rights are being respected. And we say that um, advocates should have the same right to enter disability services to ask people if they need any information about their rights and also to have the kinds of discussions that we talk about in our Housing Know Your Rights sessions. We find it incredibly difficult to get in the door of the group homes because we make approaches to the service managers and they say, no, thank you very much. So we don't even get to ask the people with disabilities themselves if they want the information because the service provider can block us. So we we said that we thought advocacy should have a right of entry um, and because uh, we find that often there's a culture of control of services over people with disabilities and, you know, to be honest, people can be afraid to speak up but that's not necessarily um, that they're wrong in being afraid. They're actually right to be afraid because sometimes if you speak up and you live in a group home where nobody else comes in and sees what goes on, you might find that, you know, you do get punished. You might find that you have different sorts of um, opportunities removed so you don't get to go on the outing or some of the services are restricted in some ways um, and it's really subtle. It might even just be that you get the cold shoulder from the staff that you complained about. So um, those were some of the things we said in the stage one. Um, in stage two, we, as I said, focused a lot more on questions and some of the suggestions that were being raised and we said, actually, it's interesting because this committee, the Family and Community Development Committee, they had an inquiry very similar into the group homes back in 2008 
and in 2009 they came out with a really, really thorough report with lots of recommendations, which the government didn't put in place. They didn't accept them and they didn't do all the things that they were recommended they do. So um, I guess one of the things we've done is point out to the committee that sometimes it's not that the answers aren't known. Sometimes it's that governments just don't listen to those answers and do what's required. And in the first um, stage of the report, they the committee had to look at whether the oversight bodies like Community Visitors and Disability Services Commissioner and so on were doing a good enough job. And we're not saying that there couldn't be improvements. There could. But I think we're also saying, hang on, you don't shoot the messenger when they tell you that there's something wrong. You do what they're suggesting needs to be done. And often community visitors put reports in year after year to Parliament and their advice isn't followed. And and this committee's own advice in 2009 hasn't been followed. So the first thing we did was to restate all of the recommendations that were relevant then and are still relevant now, um, including more accommodation for people and access to public housing and quotas in community housing for people with disability and proper supports for people. Um, Some of the other things that we talked about was that perhaps the reason why some of these recommendations aren't followed and perhaps the reason why disability services often don't do anything even when there's a problem and it's pointed out to them is because nobody forces them to. So maybe what we need is another layer uh, of, um, you know, sort of, I guess, teeth in the system where if we, for example, were working with someone and the service we felt wasn't providing the right environment and it was an abusive environment, we can make recommendations and so can the Disability Services Commissioner and others, but we can't actually take them to court and force them to change it. And we were suggesting that maybe the Disability Act should have um, some more abilities there to go to VCAT, a tribunal, or even something like the Charter. You know, there's the Human Rights Charter that we have in Victoria. But if your rights aren't being upheld, and one of the rights is the right to a safe environment free of abuse, if your right isn't being upheld, you can't actually go to court to say my charter rights aren't being upheld unless you've already got a reason to be in court. It's a bit funny that way. So if you, for example, are behind in your rent and you got taken to VCAT for being in rent arrears, at that point you could raise that your charter rights weren't being abided by. But you can't just say... I want to put in a complaint, my charter rights aren't being abided by, I'm not in a safe environment and I want to go to court about it. So we're saying that should be in there. That Charter Act should have in it a way to make a complaint and go to a tribunal where they can decide what needs to be done instead of all these recommendations that just keep getting ignored. What are the solutions of this problem of abuse? Um, Well, I think that there's a lot of things that could be done. Part of the problem is that the funding model at the moment in Victoria and going into the NDIS, it'll probably be the same, is for group housing. That's the the main way in which people get a residential service in disability services. And, you know, we're not all suited to group living. I'm, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> there's plenty of people who aren't. And, um, and so... Why is it that we think people with a disability somehow are all suited to group living? 
And so what we'd be saying is that one of the things they absolutely have to do is provide individualised accommodation options. And again, this is one of the recommendations that came up time and time again in previous inquiries, but it just still doesn't happen and it's about the money, really. But if we're going into the NDIS and it's all supposed to be about person-centred planning and there's a lot more money, then I think then we have to do that. We have to say, okay, maybe we need to look at who's in services at the moment and who actually needs to have something better provided for them and let's just go about designing and funding it now while we've got this new program, the NDIS, coming online instead of just swapping from state government funding to federal NDIS funding and leaving it all exactly as it is because we know... A lot of the abuse um, that happens in disability services is actually between people with a disability. It's not all staff to people with a disability, although that is a big problem. A lot of it is just people being in environments that aren't suited to them and they're not getting the right support. There's not enough funding to provide individualised responses. And that's one of the solutions to this problem, we think. There's also some fantastic work that's been done by groups like the Senior Practitioner's Office, who've come out with a positive practice manual, um, which is fantastic. It's all about supporting people in positive ways and not punishing them. And yet time and time again, a MITRE and other groups find that when something goes wrong in a service and someone's behaving in a way which might, might be aggressive or challenging, they straight away think the problem is in the person and they never think it might actually be the way we're running our service. Perhaps this person is communicating to us their unhappiness and we need to listen and look at what we're doing that could change. And these positive um, practice frameworks have lots and lots and lots and lots of solutions. Um, but uh, again, it's you know the same old story. The research is out there and it's being provided, but what do people do? They go to their automatic response that's in their head, which is sort of like making it up as you go along, really, and not following good processes and practices. So um, it, is, it isn't an easy job working in disability services. In lots of ways, there's lots of policies to get your head around. There's lots of good practices to learn about. And we think that's the other side of it, that workers perhaps should all be trained and learning these sorts of positive ways of working with people with disabilities. That would be another really big advantage if we're going into the NDIS to make sure that that becomes the minimum benchmark that everybody who works in disability services has the level of training that means they actually understand this environment because sometimes it is a little bit like rocket science. There's a lot to manage in your head and a lot to think through. And, um, and so, yeah, we think that there are solutions out there and um, we're very hopeful. Uh, what do you think of the government will do about this issue? Um, gosh, I have to be positive and hope that they will, having done all this work, follow through. Um, I don't know that they'll do everything they need to do. I'm sure they'll do some things. I think it's pretty clear from what I've read so far that there's a strong recommendation that there be a single oversight body that's independent so that um, people have faith in the complaint body that they go to. Um, and there also is a very strong flavour in the report so far um, for the importance of advocacy. So I think that that will be important going into the NDIS. I think that will 
be something that needs to be recommended to the national services that are set up, that there be an independent um, oversight body that people have faith in and that people have access to advocacy. But there's a lot more when you dig down into these issues that needs to be done. I'm just, I don't know if I'm that confident that they'll go as far as they need to, but they certainly have the information and they'll have the solutions from these inquiries. So if they don't follow them, then I guess that's down to them. That, that, that's the government's responsibility then if the issue continues and we can hold them to it. Okay. We've got an exciting event coming up. Um, you've seen it on the ABC. Now you'll see it live. It's our own Q&A. It's called Self-Advocacy on the Map and it's based on ABC's award-winning Q&A program. We think it'll be an exciting event. Peter Waters, a strong self-advocate and a member of Raising Our Voices, is going to be the facilitator. Um, we've got people on the panel, Liz Cairns from the NDIA Peter Ferguson from Brain Injury Matters, Trish Maloney, who's a consultant come comedian, Sue Smith from the Saru, Chris Varney from the ICANN Network and a host of many others in the audience who will get to ask questions of the panel, just like Q&A. Um, it's aimed at anyone and everyone who's interested in making sure people with a disability are actively involved in all aspects of our um, world. So the Q&A will happen on Wednesday the 25th of November 2015. It starts at 1.30 so be there a bit earlier and if you want to come and you want to let us know it would be great if you give us a call. Um, you can call the MITRE on 96502722 um, and it's at the Drill Hall which is behind the Multicultural Hub at 49 to 53 Victoria Street, Melbourne. It's opposite the Queen Victoria Market and just around the corner from Elizabeth Street. So don't forget the Q&A it's all happening on Wednesday, the 25th of November, um, just before 1.30, if you arrive at the drill hall. Okay, thanks. Uh, come along to the, reinforce, to the Reinforce News CD and Showbag launch, plus T-shirts at the Multicultural Hub, which is up near, near Victoria Market. We'll be there, we'll be giving away T-shirts and copies of the CD. So we're hoping to see you all there on the 3rd of December. So come along and really enjoy yourself. Yeah, entry by Goldcoin donation. And the CD's free. Well, that's all for Rosing Our Voices. But stay tuned to 3CR next time on the second Wednesday of the month at 6pm. This is Norrie signing off. Up next is Tamil Voices. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.